Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. Welcome to the Dr. Wendy Wells Show on KFI AM 640. We are live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You know, I've been thinking, I want to do like, I love lists. I love organization. I love groups of 10. I'm, I've been on the metric system emotionally my whole life, I think. So I thought I would do an episode today, a very special episode, with some of my all-time favorite advice. And I have soaked it up from all over, from my PhD in clinical psychology learning, from working with patients, from being in relationships myself, from parenting children, etc., from some other people's Facebook pages who have great advice. Um, But I have curated three top 10 lists that I want to share with you. The first list is Dr. Wendy's tips for having a better life in general when it comes to work, money, education, etc. Then I'm going to give you Dr. Wendy's top 10 tips, and these are all out of my own head. For to have a healthier relationship, to have a better relationship. And finally, top 10 tips to be a better parent. We can all stand to have a little uh, tune-up when it comes to parenting and have a little more empathy for our kids or a little more boundaries, whatever it may be. So let's start with top rules or 10 rules. Dr. Wendy's 10 rules. How's that? Dr. Wendy's, Dr. Wendy's, I can't talk anymore. (laughs) Dr. Wendy's 10 rules for having a better life. Number one, da, 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 da. I'm doing my old my own drum roll, Brooke. Uh, talk less and listen more. Wow, this is one I really need to take to heart. It's kind of hard when you're an extrovert and you think out loud. You know, the other day, my daughter was hiding in my bed. I didn't know it because the bed was unmade and the duvet is particularly fluffy and you could put a skinny body under it and never know. And I was walking around my room, closing the blinds and making comments about this one being crooked and complaining about a drawer and uh, talking about something on my to-do list I must remember to do. And she popped up out of the bed and said, you really do talk to yourself. You never stop talking. (laughs) So for me, I will say my best lesson is when I sit with my eight or 10 very talkative friends at book group and I very conscientiously let them all kind of go around and have their say. And I learn so much by listening. So talk less, listen more, because the other person will feel better and you'll learn more. Okay, second rule of thumb, Dr. Wendy's rule of thumb for having a better life, disagree sparingly. Okay, so some people are like a Debbie Downer. By the way, someone told me recently that the term Debbie Downer is sexist. I guess we're supposed to say Dwayne Downer now. I don't know. That it's sort of related to women being negative. I don't know. You know what I mean anyway. So if you're going to be the person who always brings the raindrops on any conversation, you're going to pay a price for this. So when you disagree, when you criticize, stop and think before you speak. Is it worth the price? Or as I like to ask myself, what outcome do I expect here? Do you think somebody's actually going to change because you pointed out this negative thing? So disagree sparingly. Number three, surround yourself with people who are a bright glow, a glow that will shine on you. That means hang out with people who are one notch better than you, whether they're a little bit smarter, whether they're kinder, harder working better at music or sports, being around with somebody who's just a little bit better than you rubs off and you will grow because of it. If all your friends are followers because you're the queen bee and you can't tolerate being challenged, you're not going to grow. 
Rule number four, Dr. Wendy's rules of thumb for life. Induce intrinsic motivation. What I mean is, you really can't change somebody. By criticizing people, you'll most likely create the opposite result. They will get defensive and not change their behavior. However, if you just quietly reward good behavior and ignore bad behavior, yes, in your children, in your spouse, in your friends, in your coworkers, in your boss, you'll watch them change. Because people are people pleasers. We're also pleasure seekers. And we move towards the positive. So, as I like to say, if you have a garden, and every relationship in your life is a garden, water what you want to grow, not the weeds. So reward good behavior, ignore bad behavior. Number five, don't be afraid to follow your passion. People ask me all the time, should I take this job? It pays so much money, but it's not what I want to do. You are not going to be happy. And all that amount of money, even if it buys you a fancy car to get to work, and even if it buys you a comfortable house, you're still going to be spending the bulk of your time doing something you don't want to do. My example in my life of this experience was um, when I became a mother, and I loved mothering. In fact, when I was at work, my stomach ached to be back with my babies. And I thought to myself, I can work really hard to try to afford high-end childcare, or I can just try to sit still and try not to spend much money and give my children the most expensive thing I have, which is my time. All right, number six. This is about education. For you or your children, trust me on this. My kids have been through every kind of school, private, public, charter, everything. You are better to choose a plain, inexpensive school with good kids and nice teachers than a fancy school with lesser people. Don't judge the playgrounds by how well manicured the lawns are. Meet the people. Find out what their values are. Find out how they treat kids. If they're all just going to be social climbers who are trying to get their kids into the right college, you're not going to be happy. You want a well-rounded education. And I say that for yourself if you're going to college, too. You don't ha- I, have, I went to no-name schools. I'm doing great. You don't have to have a brand-name hoity-toity school and don't feel less by having a simple, great education. Number seven, Dr. Wendy's rules for thumb for having a great life. Force yourself to do it. Yes, the task you don't want to do, always do it first. I set up a reward system for myself. Let's say, for instance, I was job hunting and really I just wanted to go to the gym or sit at home and binge on Netflix. I would tell myself, okay, submit five applications and then I'll let you do the thing you want to do. For me these days, it's actually laundry. I hate folding laundry so much. So, and what I really want to do is cook. Like I love to chop vegetables. I love to make delicious sauces. So I'll come home and there'll be a load of laundry and there'll be dinner to cook. And I'll say to myself, I am not going to let you get a hold of that knife and have fun chopping until you fold that laundry. It's like I parent myself and I give myself a reward afterwards. Number eight, rule for life so that you can have a better life. Be judgmental. Okay, it's not what you think. What I mean is become discerning, become politely critical. You do not have to accept bad people or bad products. Answer every survey that you can that comes to you because these companies record the answers. Be the one who writes the Yelp review, not just negative ones, write positive ones too. Write the Amazon reviews, write a letter. I've even been known if I've been giving really bad, if I've been given really bad service to go on LinkedIn and friend request the CEO of corporations and then send them a letter. (laughs) Write that letter. If they don't get feedback from consumers, then how can they change, right? Number nine, rule of life for having a better life. I harp on this all the time. Mostly eat fruits and vegetables, mostly green leafy vegetables and small amounts of everything else. If your plate looks like a jungle with a little bit of protein and some delicious, good quality fat, not trans fat, uh, olive oil is a good one, then you will live a long and healthy life. And while you're at it, eat 
dinner at home with people you love. If your life is one of grabbing takeout in the car, running through restaurants, if your family members are eating dinner at different times and it's catch or catch can, you're going to start to fall apart as a family. Eat dinner together, eat mostly vegetables, some fruits, and very small amounts of the rest. And number 10, da, 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 rule for having a better life. Do regular digital detoxes, please. That means whether you take 24 hours, whether you do a screen-free Sunday, or whether you break it up during the day, like you're only going to check your emails once an hour, or you're for sure not going to have your phone even within eyesight at the dinner table, find a time to stop and focus on people and the world around you. All right, 10 tips for having a better life. Okay, I've got 10 great rules for having a better intimate love relationship when we come back. You are listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Welcome back to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. We are live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. So if you've been listening to my show for a while, you know that I have a PhD in clinical psychology, but I consider myself an evolutionary psychologist because it just explains everything. We are really wired to reproduce, and so much of our psyche, our personality development, has to do with the kind of attachments we have in life. We are wired to bond, and from the very beginning of life, our early relationships with our primary caregivers often become blueprints for love that we carry into the rest of our life. Then we end up in our adult romantic lives, sometimes confused, sometimes feeling like we're walking through a tunnel without a flashlight, and thinking, well, if I could just find the right person, then everything would be okay in a relationship. Let me tell you this, love relationships are far more about skill than luck, and finding the right person means finding the good partner in yourself, right? So I'd like to go through my top 10 tips for having healthier relationships. This is Dr. Wendy's prescription for healthy love. Rule number one, love yourself first. Now, when I say that, some people think, oh, well, that sounds so selfish, The people who actually love themselves, though, don't brag, don't boast, don't act bigger than life because they're all into themselves. They're actually very selfless because they have a quiet contentment. They have a quiet self-confidence. So part of loving yourself is also forgiving yourself. We all grow. We've all made mistakes in life. Nobody's perfect. Although I will say, if you feel guilty for Anything you did in your childhood, I'm here to pull you off that guilt train. There are no bad children. There are only misunderstood children. And stuff was done to you, and you responded in a certain way. So rule number one, forgive yourself and learn to accept who you are before you enter into a relationship. Okay, rule number two, despite what you may think about It begins with a date and then it becomes a boyfriend and girlfriend and then maybe it becomes living together and then it becomes marriage and then it becomes a baby, blah, 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 blah. There are no rules anymore. There's no order of events anymore. You define what works for you in a relationship. You set the pace, the pace of sexual contact, and you set the definition. We have now entered the no rules relationship revolution. Much like our anthropological ancestors, people might spend a long time assessing a partner. They might date a number of people at once. Now, it's a good idea to be honest with them. Uh, it's a good idea to not be in multiple sexual relationships unless you're losing protect, you're using protection and you want to make sure that you respect everybody you're involved with. That's all important. But there's no rules. You do it your way when you're ready and communicate to people what your definition of a relationship is. Okay, number three. If you keep saying, I keep meeting the wrong person, I meet bad boys or I meet crazy chicks, I don't know what it is. I'm always meeting the worst ones. You know, there's a common denominator in all of your relationships and it's you. 
So rule number three is learn to move away from people who hurt you. Those who have a secure attachment style aren't just lucky in love because they seem to meet the right person. They actually move away from those that show their colors early on. The red flags that get waved, they go, not going there. Learn to do that. Move away from people who hurt. Gravitate. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Towards those that help you feel better. Rule number four for having a healthy love life, learn to communicate your feelings. You know, when I had a private practice and patients would come in, I felt that At the beginning, my job was often just emotional literacy. I would have to literally teach people a vocabulary for their feelings. They were so untrained in learning how to express their feelings. People are so afraid to say, I felt afraid, lost, abandoned, sad, happy, euphoric, surprised, irritated, frustrated. Um, It goes on and on and on. There are many, many, many words for feelings. Look them up if you need to. But if you're going to be in a relationship, you better learn to use those words and own your feelings, become self-aware of your feelings and learn how to speak them to others. Instead of blaming others for making you feel a certain way, nobody can make you feel this way. This is who you are and this is what you're feeling. No judgment, but learn to express it. Rule number five for having a healthy love life, intimacy needs at least 20 minutes a day. What that means is when you get into a long-term love relationship, People often go on automatic pilot. They just do the schedule, they do the routine, and they don't stop to cut out everything else like they did on a first date and stare longingly into the eyes of the person they love or say, no, seriously, how are you doing? Not just how was your day, but what do you want in life? What are your goals? Are we on the right track together? Are you okay? What can I do to support you? How can I help you? What do you need? You need to spend 20 minutes a day with no technology, no conversation about you're going here, you're going to pick up the kids. Great. I'll see you at five. We'll meet you at the other. No, no, no. Just literally checking in with the person you love. Rule number six for a healthy relationship, learn to make a communication sandwich. A communication sandwich is very simple. It starts with a layer of love, followed by a layer of something hard to chew on, and it's backed up with another layer of love. This keeps the person from getting defensive and can actually hear your gentle criticism. So it might be like, hey, you know, dude, I fell in love with you because you're so ambitious and I love your ambition and that you work so hard. But, you know, the kids are saying that you're never at their games and they're kind of missing you. And, hey, you're so hot. I want to show you off. Can you show up at the next football game? Because I want those other moms at school to know I got a great man. Listen to that. Instead of you're always working all the time. Why are you never coming to the kids sports things? Right. Make a communication sandwich. Number seven, and there's science to back this up. Hug for at least 20 seconds and do it at least twice a day. Did you know it takes 20 seconds of hugging someone to release enough dopamine and oxytocin, the cuddle hormone, that creates bonding and feelings of well-being? So if you're doing the quick peck on the cheek run out the door in the morning, it's not cutting it. Your bodies need to continue to communicate. Number eight, on the same note, hold hands, kiss, cuddle, touch toes in bed. Don't have two armchairs when you're watching television together. Snuggle together on the couch. You need to have touch and not just in private, 
public displays of affection are so important. You know, there was research done where they looked at couples saying goodbye at the airport and they were observed and recorders recorded how much public displays of affection the couple had. And then they went up and asked the couple how long they'd been together. Surprise, surprise. The longer the couple had been together, the less likely they were to touch. This is not good for long-term relationships. Number nine, fight fair. Okay, what does fighting fair mean? Especially if you grew up in a family that either um, didn't fight or hid all their fighting behind closed doors, so you weren't able to to see it and understand it, um, or they fought in a very unhealthy way. Fighting fair means establishing some ground rules ahead of time. If the ground rules might be, hey, if I feel like I'm really going to lose it, I'm going to hit someone, then I have the right to walk out of the room or go for a walk or never fight. You know that stupid saying, never go to bed angry. No, no, no. Go to bed and get a good night's sleep and work it out in the morning. There's nothing worse than staying up fighting drunk till two in the morning. That's insane. So get a good night's sleep and then fight. So set up some ground rules. But one rule about fighting is don't ever allow any stonewalling. That's the silent treatment, the cold shoulder, where you're walking around on eggshells wondering why the person's still mad and waiting for it to blow over. Well, it doesn't blow over. It just builds up. And the person who's been dismissed, the person who's not being heard, I promise you will eventually find somebody who will listen to them and that person will be a lover or a lawyer. Trust me. Okay. Number 10, rule for having a healthy, fabulous love life. Compliment your partner every day, not for their ego, to remind you why you fell in love with that person. Every day, find something good about your partner and tell them so. It will remind you why you fell in love and it will help keep you in love. All righty. When we come back, are you a parent? Are you thinking of being a parent? Dr. Wendy's 10 rules for being a great parent. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Wells Show on KFI AM 640. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the Dr. Wendy Wells Show on KFI AM 640. You know, you can follow me everywhere online. The handle is at Dr. Wendy Walsh, at Dr. Wendy Walsh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. And, uh, okay, so I wanted to do a top 10 list of my favorite parent rules for parenting to help us all be better parents. And we need to all be reminded once in a while. And I actually saw a very similar list on Facebook. A friend of mine named Darcy Lynn wrote a beautiful list of 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 tips. Um, so Darcy, just letting you know, I'm taking a few of yours, adding a few of mine, amending a few of yours, just expanding on it a little bit. Uh, so you can look up our whole list of 15 if you want. I think she's public. Um, okay, so let's start. Uh, Dr. Wendy's and Darcy's top 10 list ways to be a better parent. Number one, and I wholeheartedly believe this, never lie to a child. They're a sponge. Remember, small children, before they understand language, are picking up information from vocal tone, body language, the way you glance, um, the smell of you, they know what's up. They really do. They're absolute sponges. So if they come home and they see you crying and they say, what's wrong? And you go, no, I'm fine. I just had something in my eye. They know. They know. However, when I say don't lie to them, also don't give them information they can't understand that's way too complicated or that they will misunderstand and blame themselves for. Give them information in a simple, limited way that they can understand. Like for instance, the sex talk. I had it with my kids like at age three and four. So it was just a natural part of their, you know, where do babies come from? How'd the baby get in there? Right. And so it wasn't like I had to wait till they were an awkward preteen and then have that weird conversation. It was just part of life. Number two, give your kids physical affection every single day. I'm proud to say that I still have a teenager who crawls into bed with me sometimes. and We watch a show together and she sits in my arms. It's good for both of us. But I especially want to say this to parents of boys. Something happens when we stop touching our boys. We stop cuddling with them. And the way that our children learn to love is how we loved them. So if you're a dad, keep hugging your son. Give him a kiss. It's okay. Stop being homophobic. Give your kid love. It will help him be 
a better husband, a better father later in life. Uh, Number three, do not be a snowplow parent. You know what a snowplow parent is? They're the one that takes the the skidoo out ahead of time and makes the tracks so the cross-country skiers can come before it and the tracks are already in there in the snow. See, that's a Canadian saying. Hey, if you're not from Canada, you don't know about that. Um, That means that your children are going to get hurt sometimes. Don't run around and make the environment so perfect for them that they won't learn. They are going to have times where they get hurt and you've got to let it happen. But your job is not to say, I told you so, or what could you do different, or that was all your fault. You see, I shouldn't have done it that way. Look, I'm getting the voice of my mother. Uh, instead, you just console them and say, oh, that must have been really hard. Come here. Let me give you a hug. Sounds like you had a bad day. And just let them talk, right? All right. Rule number four, don't be afraid to be what I would call a good enough parent. Donald Winnicott coined that term. He figured out the children actually grow in our gaps. They don't grow when we make life perfect for them. They also don't grow when we're neglectful and abusive. But it's okay to not be a perfect parent. Okay? What number am I at now? Number five, model good manners and values. Follow the rules of life. Don't break the law. Don't litter. Don't cheat on your taxes. Whatever. Because your kids will learn more from what they see than by what you tell them. So if you want your kid to have a good manners, say please and thank you to your child. And they'll copy you. Also, be willing to say the word, I'm sorry, from time to time. Number six, you can't schedule teaching moments. So in order to teach your kids, you've got to be in their world with them. Even if you don't want to go to the ice capades, even if you don't want to go to the Miley Cyrus concert. Yes, I was there. I had earplugs in. It hurt. They were screaming, 20,000 young girls. Um. If you don't want to go to the freezing cold hockey arena because they're suddenly interested in hockey, follow your kids' leads and follow them into their world. And while you're in their world, teaching moments will present themselves to us. Number seven on Dr. Wendy's tips of how to be a good parent, make sure your discipline has logical consequences. Okay, so if your kid dilly dallies and is late coming home from school and doesn't get their homework done or whatever, you don't ground them for a month. You say, okay, well, no TV until your homework's done. Right. You create a reward system at the end. You don't like do huge disciplines for small things and you make your discipline be somehow connected to the thing. Oh, so I gave you twenty dollars to buy some ice cream. You ended up buying a whole bunch of other stuff and didn't bring me back my change. That means for your next allowance, I need my $14 back, right? That's all you do. You just find a way to make sure that the discipline is logical. Okay, number eight, especially with small children, let them get dirty, please. Don't buy expensive clothes that they can't get their hands in mud pies and get magic markers all over them. Buy inexpensive clothes. Kids need to be literally out in nature, digging in dirt. They need to be doing messy artwork with their fingers. If you're trying to keep them clean all the time, they're never going to develop creatively. It's very important. Now, number nine, I know it's going to be hard for you to hear, but sometimes, especially with teenagers, the best way to be a parent is to change their peer group. Yes. Parents don't want to have the huge, big imposition of, oh, moving to a whole new neighborhood to get them into a better school because the crowd they've been hanging out. You just hear kids going, oh, or parents saying, oh, they just got in with the wrong crowd. Yeah, well, you're living near that crowd. You're sending them to school near that crowd. So sometimes the best way to help your child when they're struggling and they will protest, believe me, is to move. Put a tenant in your house and move to another neighborhood. Research new schools. Find new places for them. When a kid is falling through the cracks, it is a call for help. So step in and change their peer group. And finally, if you've done everything that I've said, then I'd like you 
or number 10, to trust your kid. Your kid ultimately is going to be outside of the house with their friends at school, later as a teenager at parties. You've got to trust them to make good decisions. If you're always suspicious, if you're digging through their things, if you're not giving them privacy, if you're sleuthing through their digital media and looking under their bed and reading their diary, guess what? They're going to act up negatively because that's what you expect of them. But if you tell your child that you trust them and until you have any evidence that they're not trustworthy, then you're going to trust them to keep themselves safe. This is what I say to my daughter when she leaves the house. Remember to keep yourself safe. I love you and you're very precious to me. So make good decisions to come home safely to me. Because I've modeled being a good human, because I've taught her how to keep herself safe, now I have to trust her. It was like when my oldest daughter got her driver's license and I had to like let her drive away from me in a car on her own. It was terrifying. But you know, if you do your job well as a parent, you work yourself out of a job. That's the deal. Okay, when we come back on the Dr. Wendy Wall Show, I'm going to introduce a very special segment from my podcast, Mating Matters, Mothers, Milfs, and Wives. I know, I'll explain when we come back. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Wall Show on KFI AM 640. We'll be back after this. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome back to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. A special treat for you now. We have an entire episode of my podcast, Mating Matters. This episode looks at women's reproductive choices. Remember, I look at human behavior through a lens of evolutionary psychology and human reproductive strategy because we're wired to reproduce. It's really the whole purpose for life. And women, in particular, have lots of different choices. And it's important to remember that one in five women do not become mothers in the biological sense, but listen closely, because they become alloparents, very important to the evolution of our species. So here is Mothers, Milfs, and Wives. The podcast is called Mating Matters. Ever wonder what the one right way to become a mother is? Well, There's no one right way. In fact, for many millennia, women have used all kinds of reproductive strategies to keep their genes on the planet. This is Mating Matters. I love being a mother, but if I'm going to be completely honest with you, I also sometimes hate being a mother. That's because motherhood is all about sacrifices, and the paybacks aren't always measurable by society. A dimpled curly grin here, a warm snuggle there. A holiday singing pageant or high school graduation where your kid makes you proud. All of these are brief respites between the sleep loss, the embarrassing public tantrums, usually the kid but sometimes the mom, and the worry. No doubt about it, motherhood is burdensome. Despite this, about 80% of women become mothers one way or another, and most of the others are mothers to the village. I always wanted to be a mother. Always, always, always. I was always the one that babysat in the neighborhood. Always loved kids, loved little babies. I wanted to have 10 kids when I was growing up. That changed once I became a mom and realized how much work was involved. But growing up, that was my dream. Welcome to Mating Matters. I'm Dr. Wendy Walsh. In this episode, Mothers, Milfs, and Wives, Part 1, 
We're talking about women's reproductive strategies. If you're a woman, there are plenty of ways to keep your genes in evolution's chain or raise the species as a whole. Women have long had plenty of reproductive choices. If they have a baby, when they have a baby, with whom they have a baby, whether that baby will survive, and whether they'll care for their own or others. If you still believe, though, that love just happens and marriage and children are mostly about the luck of the draw, I want you to listen very closely. Things have changed since the 1930s when McCall's Magazine put out this helpful little film, What a Housewife Must Know. She must face death to bring children into the world. She must raise them, care for them, and pilot them safely to the threshold of manhood and womanhood. To her husband, she must be a companion, a sweetheart, a wife, and a mother. She must stir his ambition, pull him through fear, and keep success from hurting him. Granted, even decades later, women's gender roles and reproductive choices seemed pretty limited. The media perpetuated the idea that a woman's role was to be a good wife and mother to one man for life. Even today, buried deep inside some progressive career women, lies some version of the dream of a house with a white picket fence, two children, and a wage-earning husband, because to some, that feels natural. And why not? It's been pumped into women's heads for a couple centuries. Here's a 1951 educational video on marriage. Our first year of marriage. Gee, we got a good start. I remember coming home from a wonderful honeymoon. We were so fortunate. Our housing problem was taken care of. Pete's mother owned a two-family house. She was a widow and lived upstairs, and we were going to live downstairs. Pete had a good job, worked in the same plant as my dad. But dad didn't introduce us, though. We met at the church. I hate to burst your bubble, but the idea of a nuclear family, the one with two parents, one being male and the other female, living in a home with children who are biologically related to both of them while they live happily ever after, is a relatively new invention for human beings. And it's not attained by the vast majority of people. More natural for us is a moving encampment of cooperative caregivers that may include grandmothers, brothers, friends, cousins, aunties, anyone a mother can enlist to help her out. When I say more natural for us, remember that humanoids have been on the planet for about 4 million years. That's how old our behavioral memory is. We've only been doing widespread modern farming and industry for about 400 years. Farming, by the way, was the big downfall for women because we were pulled away from our girl pack and plunked into narrow gender roles to become that barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen gal. But we women are wired for something very different from last century's idea of a nuclear family. And as you'll hear in this podcast, the modern women we spoke to are behaving in many ways, like hunter-gatherer women in terms of their reproductive choices. The only difference is that many feel like they're failing because they aren't living up to that newfangled idea of a nuclear family. Like cave women, we are looking at our mating marketplace, making unconscious and sometimes conscious decisions about attracting, keeping, or replacing mates based on how well they provide or give care. We consider the timing of our pregnancies, That didn't begin with the invention of the birth control pill. Women all the time practiced staying away from men at certain times or putting all kinds of material inside their bodies as a barrier. We also weighed the pressures of our fertility window against the pressure to make enough money to feed our babies. There's no one right way to become a mother or a mother's helper. If you're feeling like you're failing, I'm here to pull you off the guilt train because I think we're returning to something more natural. And this return to what is more naturally female probably began with the advent of the birth control pill in 1962 and then with the march into offices in the 1970s. That was around the time Helen Reddy was singing, I am woman. I am strong. Let's start with the statistics. 
The research of Harvard-trained economist and demographer David Foote, now at the University of Toronto, shows that the big deciding factor in whether a woman will reproduce is her level of education. Graduate degrees are birth control. Yep, the more education, the less likely a woman is to have babies, and she'll likely have only one or two. The more a couple is educated, the more likely they are to have a barren nest or be child-free. And that group is growing. Child-free women were relatively rare in the 1950s, but today make up about one in five women. Hold that thought, because in a moment I'll explain how this is more natural for our species. Wealthier women may be having fewer babies because they run into fertility problems or a mate crunch in the mating marketplace when they spend a large part of their fertility window obtaining education and building careers. On the other hand, high school-educated and lower-income women are likely to have children earlier and have more children. This may be because reproduction may seem more urgent to those with fewer life choices. They also get a jump on finding mates early. And then sometimes there are the life-changing accidents. This woman was on birth control, engaged, and living with someone when she accidentally became pregnant at the age of 20. Unfortunately, the dude just wasn't having it, and he bailed. Yeah, it wasn't in the plans with my son's dad. It was definitely one of those, hey, this would be great because we're in love in the future, and there was a plan and everything such as that. But then there was the unexpected blessing of my son. So it was definitely one of those things where I realized, oh, man, this is a lot harder. She says she comes from a strict family, and even though she says she's pro-choice, she didn't feel she had many options if she still wanted her family's support. And I knew even adoption wasn't going to be something because my mom was very like, I'm not having a family member live off with someone else, and you know, I'm not going to know anything. So they were big on that. She told me she finally got up the nerve to tell her mother what was happening when she was about four months pregnant. My mom would always... for. Bad joke, but she would always joke and be like, Mom, I have something to tell you. Uh, and it didn't matter what. She'd be like, you're pregnant all the time. You know, that was like her joke. Right. But I remember, you know, sending her down and I was just like, so, uh, Mom, I have something to tell you. And she was like, you're pregnant. And then I was like, yes. I was more afraid of seeing my mom cry in disappointment than having her beat my butt. My dad was not thrilled. Oh, uh, yeah. My dad actually kind of lunged at me. Like, he was just like, what? You know, um, my mom was definitely my rock. I actually became a single mom. So she was the dad in that aspect. Ah, the man problem. Women's reproductive choices are intrinsically linked to the potential for male support. Either financial support, so she can hire babysitters, or actual paternal caregiving. And that can be a crapshoot if you don't know what you're looking for. Anthropologist and primatologist Dr. Sarah Blaffer-Hurdy of UC Davis is known worldwide as one of the most important women in science for her contributions to female evolutionary behavior. Her books, Mother Nature and Mothers and Others, have always been my Bibles. Here is some of her UCLA talk called Born Human, How the Utterly Dependent Survive. You can find it on YouTube. Fathers clearly have this potential to respond to babies. And you have this species where mothers need help so very much. In that case, how is it that paternal care varies so much? I mean, you have some men who are totally dedicated to their children, the Mrs. Doubtfires out there. The character played by the actor Robin Williams in the movie Mrs. Doubtfire was so in love with his children that even after divorce, he went to great lengths to get hired as their nanny. He's still the same old dad, only better. Dinner is served, madam. And you have other men, men certain of paternity, who behave as if they didn't even know they had children. How can this be? Bad dads still find mates. Listen to the Mating Matters episode called The Trouble with Testosterone to understand why. Besides testosterone, though, are there other reasons why some men are good dads and other are cads? Well, for one, when there are more men in a mating marketplace compared to women, men are more likely to be monogamous and more into fatherhood. And when they spend more time with babies, 
their testosterone goes down and their prolactin and oxytocin go up. Men become better fathers by actively fathering. But right now, we have an oversupply of successful women and an undersupply of corresponding successful men. Thus, many men are focused on mating over child-rearing. You've been listening to my podcast, Mating Matters. This is Dr. Wendy Walsh. We're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we'll have part two of Mothers, Milfs, and Wives. This is KFI AM 640. Welcome back to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. You know, around the world and for hundreds of thousands of years, men and women have found ways to shoot their genes into the future. Men have their own mating strategies and lots of other episodes of Mating Matters explain that. Um, But women do as well. And I think it's really important that we not judge. So let's go back to our episode of Mating Matters called Mothers, Milfs and Wives. But right now, we have an oversupply of successful women and an undersupply of corresponding successful men. Thus, many men are focused on mating over child-rearing, and many of them are balking at the idea of paying child support. I bring home $1,626 a week and 350 go to child support. Brian says $18,000 a year in child support for his infant son is too steep. At 29 years old, he says he had to move back in with his parents. And there's another reason there's such variance in whether men help with kids. According to Dr. Hurdy, men get lazy when the family lives in a matrilocal setting, meaning with her family and friends, rather than moving in with his family and friends. When a mother lives with her man's family, there's less support, so he has to help. You see, grandmothers tend to invest less in their son's children and focus more on their daughter's kids. One of the reasons for this is because grandmothers are assured that their genes came out of their daughter. But their daughter-in-law? Who knows if another man has gotten access to her hidden eggs? This maternal grandmother preference is so prevalent in human beings that at least one government accidentally created a child welfare social policy in the form of an old-age pension. According to The Economist, Esther Dufflow of MIT, grandmothers in South Africa who received pensions turned out to have taller and healthier grandchildren when they were born to their daughters compared with those born to their sons. (laughs) Bottom line, men can't always be counted on, and grandmothers may or may not be available. But what about those one in five educated women with no kids? Well, according to these women, they made their decision not to have children for a number of reasons. For instance, financial reasons, or because they couldn't find a mate on time. If I found the perfect partner, I I would want to, perhaps I would want to. I don't have the feeling of that wanting like some women do of like, I have to have a baby. In the past when I have been with partners that I've felt in love with, I've thought about it, but it hasn't worked out. I, I haven't ever really wanted to uh, be in a partnership and it break up with kids involved. I could have been interested in having kids, but the guy had to come first and I wasn't so hell-bent on having kids that I would have done it at any cost, you know, by myself or anything like that. Like, I had to have the the partner that I wanted. And he never showed up, you know, at least not in time. And um, so that was that. Or they made the decision because their career is so fulfilling. I guess I would say I am married to my, my job, and some people would think that was sad. However, I think it's great because I love the people I work with. I love the events that I go to, and it's really about my lifestyle that I love leading. Yeah. I've moved around a lot in my life, and I feel like I've put career first. So children have never really been a goal of mine, and recently I decided that I don't think I want to have children. Uh It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. My work is very challenging, very demanding. You always have to be on uh, mentally. You know, it's it's hard enough trying to take care of myself sometimes because the job is so demanding. It's hard to imagine having to take care of a whole other person. Some child-free women say it's for ethical reasons. They want to save the planet from overpopulation. And for others, it just might not have happened biologically. This woman says she never used birth control and never became pregnant. I never consciously decided not to have children. It just never happened for me. And believe me, I worked in an industry where I knew people in, you know, IVF, where I could have gone that way. I could have gone the surrogacy way. I never wanted to put my body through it. And psychology plays a role, too, in whether a woman becomes a mother. Good mothers beget good mothers. But I always knew I wanted to have kids because I, I thought my mom was a great mom and, I, and she made it a wonderful experience for me. So I thought, well, I maybe I could do this as well. And sometimes it happens the other way around. Uh, my childhood was great, but it wasn't the best. I had a mom who wasn't necessarily the most loving because she was very selfish. Um, but I don't think it was, I don't think that played a part in it so much. Like, I know I'd want to be different, but maybe in the back of my mind it was. I don't know. Whether it's by choice or by circumstance, child free women and men are paramount to human survival. Could this be Mother Nature's way of creating something evolutionary psychologists call extra alloparents? Alloparents are adults who may not be biologically related to children, but have a big impact on their survival. In Sarah Blaffer-Hurdy's book, Mothers and Others, she makes a great case that our explosion in intelligence is linked to the stimulation and care provided by other adults, teachers, Doctors, coaches, pastors, neighbors, other mothers in that mommy group, and child-free women. My cousin is a single mother, and she is going through absolute hell. Her uh, partner left her like uh, with absolutely nothing and doesn't pay, pay child support. So, you know, um, I very much feel even more so to help them out uh, financially. So I just never had that absolute need to be a mother. And I think that's because I have lots of nieces and nephews. I'm very close with them. I've, you know, been with them growing up and I kind of felt like that fulfilled the need. I have a niece who's following in the same footsteps as, as me. So I'm constantly um, uh, mentoring her about her role in the company because she's doing the same thing that I do. Yeah. And then um, I have two other nieces and a nephew. So, yeah, I, I, I look at them and I think of them as my own. I had moms who said, hey, I'll pick up your kids so that you can do this. Or there were times when I would um, pick up their kids or, I, hey, you don't feel well. Well, I'll pick them up and take them to church and they can still have you can have a few hours to yourself and that kind of thing. Having that support system has helped me to understand how we all need each other. The nuclear family is giving way to something else. In fact, for more than two decades, according to the National Center for Health Statistics, about 40% of American babies have been born out of wedlock. And the rest? 
are vulnerable to a high parental divorce rate. Single mothers with an alloparent village are fast becoming the societal norm. And alloparents even include that single dude hanging around helping out single mothers. I happen to be a single mother. My personal trainer lugs our Christmas tree up the stairs every year, and he taught both my girls how to ride bikes. Thank you, Troy. I've also had plenty of what I call hover men, guys who hover around, hoping for sex, but not before I audition them by putting them to work in my house. And women know to keep men happy and helping, they need to look good. Thus, the rise of the MILF, a mom I'd like to f***, a hot mom seeking alloparents or a better mate and looking very attractive while doing it. Fergie knows about MILFs. She wrote her song MILF Money after the birth of her son. You gotta see this video. It's filled with hot celebrity moms in lingerie tempting a milkman, some of them breastfeeding. Even if child-free women and men aren't giving direct care to other people's kids, they may be doing it indirectly. They may employ parents or work in law or government making rules that support parents. So even if you don't have a cavewoman grandmother around, you might have a female boss who helps feed your kids via a paycheck. As a mother, we have to kind of prioritize our energy, you know, into these lives that are dependent upon us. But I have one friend who prioritizes her energy into going to all these places all over the world and helping to dig wells for kids who already exist and don't have access to clean water. I would love to do that. But for her, that's her way of giving back, contributing to the future, making life better for so many more children than what I can do with my four. It's just we, we need all kinds and we all balance each other out. Another fascinating thing about human mothers and cooperative breeding is that we'll love and raise a child that isn't genetically ours, think adoptive parents and step-parents. Evidence of the fact that alloparents and the village are paramount to breeding is the fact that we are one of the only apes that will hand our newborn to a stranger, say the doctor or midwife, try doing that with a chimp. (laughs) It's easy to imagine that last century's nuclear family is the best thing for kids. There's plenty of research to show that our culture doesn't yet provide enough supports for single parents. Free child care, tax breaks for parents, and adequate parental leaves. No doubt about it, the attachment between a child and a mother is so important that for the rest of our lives, we use it as a model for love. Did you know that on Mother's Day, that one quarter of all flower sales for the entire year Get purchased. It's like Black Friday of flowers happens on Mother's Day. Uh, We will return with more of my podcast called Mating Matters. The episode is Mothers, Milfs, and Wise. I'm Dr. Wendy Walsh. This is KFI AM 640. Welcome back to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. I'm bringing you a special edition where you're getting to hear a full-length podcast from my podcast, Mating Matters. This episode, Mothers, Milfs, and Wives. Let's return to it. But things are changing as women and men evolve into families that may look more like our hunter-gatherer ancestors than a father-knows-best 1950s-style family. Mother, too, changes from her daytime clothes. The women of this family seem to feel that they owe it to the men of the family to look relaxed, rested, and attractive at dinner time. Here's an example of a single woman with three children, aged 20, 14, and 2. She's a great example of what our cave women ancestors might have chosen, how she risked her life bearing babies, how she spaced her babies, lost a baby, and replaced a partner. Her maternal life began with an unplanned pregnancy in her early 20s that she chose to terminate. She later married the man who had impregnated her, and later they gave birth to a daughter. When her daughter was four years old, this woman was nine months pregnant with her second child, a son named Kyle. The couple was excited as they arrived at the hospital for a scheduled cesarean section. I just, I I knew that when I got to the hospital and they were prepping me for the C-section and Technician after technician kept coming because they clearly couldn't hear a heartbeat. I kind of knew until my doctor came in 
looked looked at me and said, I'm really sorry, but your baby didn't survive. I was given four months maternity leave in Canada. You're given a lot of time. I had to bury my son because he was a full-term baby. I actually still think that I probably haven't really dealt with that. The couple did go on to give birth to a healthy baby boy 14 months later. But soon after, she replaced her partner because he wasn't providing. Single motherhood was hard, but in some ways easier for her. You know, in, in my case, I it was a diff, different dynamic because I was the provider protector in our household. My husband's income, so I was the breadwinner. So my husband's income was nice and certainly missed when it wasn't there because I was carrying a mortgage, two small children. I had to get a nanny. He wasn't, he didn't even, he, he I didn't see him as a provider. Hence the reason why this relationship ended. Now, what I did get from that relationship was the physical intimacy, to be completely honest. And that was nice, but it wasn't enough. After spending a decade as a single mother, her support system included an aloe parent in the form of an on-again, off-again boyfriend. Then she accidentally became pregnant again. So I had been dating my partner for about nine years on and off at the time. We were in a good period. He's eight years younger than me. And I'd been working so hard that I just forgot that I didn't have a period for about two months. I decided to take a pregnancy test. For some reason, I just didn't think I could get pregnant. I'm 44 years old. And so I wasn't even thinking about protection. It was just it was just a non-issue until it became an issue and I had a decision to make. Her decision meant looking at these factors. She was 44. She had two children to continue to support. She had a boyfriend, but the relationship had been unstable. And she was the main provider. But get this. She was also a MILF. Her job was to look hot, young, and sexy on TV. What a pressure for a mother. I am the main featured person in this show. And the first thing I'm thinking is, what is the impact of this pregnancy on this show? Because they hired me for the sexy person that I am. This sassy, you know able to do anything anywhere and travel. And now I'm pregnant and I'm doing the math saying, oh, I have a season to be on and I'll have a baby who's two months old. How am I going to do this? This is the terrifying struggle of every mother. Whether she is a hunter gatherer worried about keeping a mate while finding enough food for herself and any living children or a modern day homo sapien female scrounging up resources on a TV set. The feelings are the same. The fear is equal. Did you think about terminating the pregnancy? A hundred percent. And for many reasons, I had weighed pros and cons. I was looking at it from a financial point of view. I was looking at it from the impact of my family, the relationship, my two older children. How are they going to feel? They were equally shocked when they knew. And I had committed to not sharing it with anyone until I had made the decision we're keeping the baby and we're happy about it. But I, I also, at 44, went to my doctor and said, what are the tests I need to happen? What are the risks? So many pregnancies, it's a high risk. It's over 50% of women over 40 that give birth to a child with some genetic defect over 40. On top of the fact that I'm highly stressed and have no time and another mouth to feed, like what, what is going to ha- happen here? So yes, it, I absolutely contemplated it. So my daughter might not have been here had I made the other decision. And what was the thing that put you over the edge, do you believe, to decide to give birth to her? I really looked at my pregnancy at that time. Really, I looked at it as a miracle. In fact, the research shows the number one factor in whether a woman will terminate her pregnancy is maternal age. Younger women are far more likely to have an abortion, as this woman did when she was much younger. Women near the end of their fertility window believe this may be their last chance to have a baby. In the end, this 44-year-old woman has a career, a boyfriend who's a very involved father, and three healthy children. I think she's winning the mating game. And when mothers do decide to raise children, the payoff, according to one mom of four and grandmother, is that motherhood brings the village together. Cooperative breeding spreads love. That love that you have as a mother for your children, it's universal. You see it in animals, in the animal kingdom. 
you see it um, in different cultures, in different ways, in in different countries. And it just it supersedes almost everything you can think of that would be divisive. While some people may think the decline of the nuclear family is a signal that society is collapsing, social scientists like me think it's a welcome move backward, back to a time when women had far more reproductive choice to something more similar to our hunter-gatherer days. More ability to extract resources from the environment and plenty of aloe parents around to help. This family evolution is not without speed bumps, though. And this new movement to create a culture where women are more free to be, well, women, is coming in loudly and not without conflict. It's cloaked in the current women's rights movement that's sweeping the planet. And if you listen closely, it's about women's rights to attract a mate by how they dress, to mother freely, and to control the timing of their pregnancies. A group of mothers staged a unique protest outside the pool. They gathered to nurse their children in a show of solidarity. Iran is one of two countries that requires women to cover their head in public. Protests against compulsory hijab have gotten bolder this year, and they're all being broadcast. Thousands gathered this morning on Manhattan's Upper West Side for the second Women's March on New York City. Historic change in Saudi Arabia. Women getting behind the wheel. Our politicians don't have a clue what they're subjecting women to. Incredible amount of activity going on both in our federal government and across the states to try to close the gender wage gap and to fight pay discrimination. States are especially. Last month, she announced that she is asking the Federal Election Commission to approve the use of campaign funds for childcare. It's a noisy time in our evolution. Humans continue to adapt to the challenges of their environments and find ways to reproduce. Evolutionary psychologists like me never predict the future. I can tell you one thing. We're in a time of fast-paced social change. In part two of Mothers, Milfs, and Wives, how the females in our species are adapting to our environment, an environment that increasingly involves changing technology, from adoption databases to egg freezing to in vitro fertilization and the very emotional choice of terminating a pregnancy. Cave women bodies are operating in a very high-tech age. As you can tell, the story is not over yet. I is Dr. Wendy Walsh. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. You've been listening to a special segment, my podcast, Mating Matters. The episode is called Mothers, Mills, and Wives. And yeah, there's a part two. We are, in fact, going to play part two for you next week. But if you can't wait, you can go wherever you listen to your podcasts, like the iHeartRadio app or iTunes, Google Play, wherever, and just look up Mating Matters and click on Mothers, Milfs, and Wives part two. Or you can wait. Thank you so much for being with me this week. It is always my honor and my pleasure to be in your presence. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.